Good morning, TBC. So good to see you. Uh, if you would, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, what sweet praise. Lord, uh, I just uh, I thank you for this body that uh, proclaims your word, the entire word, Lord. Lord, uh, you've put on my heart this past week the persecuted church across the world. Lord, I, I ask that you lighten their burdens this day. Lord, let your word continue to grow, even, even in those areas where it's trying to be covered over and smashed down, Lord. Just cause it to spread like a fire. Lord James... 122 tells us that let us not just be hearers of the word but doers lord there's much to be done let each of us remember that as we walk out of this building lord be it to 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 see family friends to our restaurants let's share the love of christ with everyone we meet lord let's, let's i ask that we just uh leave those hungry for you lord Lord, I lift up uh, Sherm as he brings this word. Lord, I just am so thankful for the commitment he has to the study of your word. Lord, I ask that he uh, have perfect perfect recollection of, of that study. And Lord, that you speak through him. Lord, just, uh, just let him be calm and let your word come through him. And we just, we just thank you for the many years of love he's given this congregation, Lord. Lord, it's we lift you, all of this up to you, and we thank you. And it's in your son's mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Into God's word together, would you join me? All right, find the gospel of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and those of you online, if you'd like to join us, uh, just get on the Version app as well if you'd like, and you can hit more and events, and you'll find our church as well. How are you getting to God's Word? Let's do Mark chapter 9 together. Uh, we're in a series called Jesus Unfiltered, all right? And so we're, we're looking at the passages throughout the Gospel of Mark that are, quite frankly, difficult and challenging. And I just want to be upfront with you from the very beginning this morning, this is one of those. This is not a super fun passage. This is unfiltered Jesus. This is straight up truth. Uh, but you're part of Trinity Bible Church, and we ain't scared of the hard passages here. All right? Okay. So, Mark chapter 9, that's where we're at. So, uh, George Barna, the great researcher, he, he did a poll and found out that 74% of people believe in heaven. 74%. And believe it or not, 71% of people actually believe in hell. 71% also believe in hell. So then he went out and found out that 64% of people think that they're going to go to heaven when they die. Would you like to guess the percentage of people who think they're going to go to hell when they die? <laughs> one half of 1%. 0.5% of people think that they're going to go to hell. Which I guess is why we kind of think it's a laughing matter in our culture. Uh, my favorite jokes about hell are from the far side. That kind of dates me, I know. Uh, but I mean, come on, come on. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, pick a door. <laughs> uh, here's my idea of hell. Uh, five million leg lifts. One, two, three, four, right? 
And then uh, two, two devils in hell. The earth finally arrives at hell in a handcart, and they said, well, that took longer than I thought. You know? <laughs> so we can kind of laugh about it, but the reality is uh, it's ultimately not a laughing matter because it's a real place. And it's reality Jesus uses to instruct us and how to live a specific way today, you and me. And so that's what we get to talk about this morning in Mark chapter 9. Let's begin in verse 42. Here we go straight up. Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for him if a heavy millstone is hung around his neck and he is thrown into the sea. Wow. Okay, let's talk about this. First of all, what it means causes to stumble or causes to sin. That the, the metaphor there is to stumble because in the Christian life, to walk is to live. So you, you know, down the narrow road of righteousness, we're supposed to walk with Jesus, walk in step with the Spirit. So to walk is to live. And so to trip someone like I did my brother when we were kids, you intentionally trip someone that's causing them to stumble. And so in, in the spiritual life, that means to sin, to, to cause in some way to, to fall off the right track over the narrow road of righteousness. All right? That's to, to stumble is to sin. And Jesus says to, to those who would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, who are the little ones? Well, if you'll just look up the page with me at verse 36, he tells us, because he took a child and placed him among them and, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. You, so you see there were all these people following Jesus and he was teaching them. And by the way, this kind of captured me afresh. Jesus grabbed a child and used that child as a, a teaching tool. Why? Because children also followed Jesus. Now they're most likely with their parents. But hey, all the children in here, all the children listening, you don't have to wait till you get to be a grown up to follow Jesus. You can follow him right now. Matter of fact, I'd like to ask a child's help. Is there a child in here who would be willing to come up here and stand with Pastor Sherm? Somewhere around 10-ish, maybe, preteen? Who would? Anyone? Is there someone who... I'm not going to make you say anything, I promise. Just come stand up here. Come out, princess. Would you do that? Would you welcome her? All right. Come here, sweet pea. Hi. Would you tell everybody your name? Kyla. Hi, Kyla. And so I know Kyla and her family. And... Uh, so here's what Jesus said, okay? You have such pretty eyes. So that passage that we just read said that Jesus took a child up and he took the child in his arms. So he kind of put his arm around, just I'm putting my arm around you. Jesus did that with a child. And then Jesus said, if anyone welcomes a child like this, they welcome me. Now, my beloved, did you hear what the Lord of heaven and earth just said? God just wrapped up his identity in a child. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. And then Jesus goes on to say, whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. That's God. So in the same way that Jesus wraps up his identity with God the Father, he wraps up a child's identity with him. Did you hear that? That's how special you are to Jesus. I just want you to know how super special you are to him. So it says that Jesus took him, the child, in his arms, and he welcomed him like this, all right? And so I just want you to know on the, the Bible's authority that Jesus loves you. 
and that we welcome you, okay? To, to welcome means to receive or to accept. And so, Sweet Pea, I just want you to know, all these people here and Pastor Sherm, we love you. We accept you, we receive you, we make a place for you. We're glad you're part of our family, and this is a safe place for you to grow and to learn and to become the woman that God made you to be. I just want you to know that, okay? Pastor Sherm loves you. Thanks for coming up. Would you thank Kyla for me? Okay? Thank you, Sweet Pea. So then, having captured that truth about how much Jesus loves children, he says, whoever, whoever would harm or cause one of these little ones to stumble, it is better for him if a heavy millstone is hung around his neck and he is thrown into the sea. Now, what's a millstone? Well, a millstone, let me show you. It's this. See that, that wheel right there? That's a millstone. You got to go back first century, okay? This is how they ground the grain back in the first century. They're grinding grain. They would hook the millstone to a donkey, and he would walk in circles, and that's how they would grind all the grain in the first century. That millstone is estimated to weigh about 3,000 pounds, about the weight of your car or SUV. And Jesus said to anyone who would cause a child like Kyla to stumble, it's better if you tie that around your neck and get thrown into the sea. Now, if you have that around your neck and you get thrown into the sea, you're going to the bottom and that's where you will remain. And that is exactly what Jesus means. So here's, and I hope I'm capturing his spirit, but I, I think this is what Jesus is saying. God's greatest gifts to children is their innocence. Don't you just love the innocence of children? And woe to anyone who robs children of their innocence. Woe to you who introduced them to their first hit of a drug. Woe to you who introduced them to their first view of a graphic image. Woe to you who abuse them in any shape, form, or fashion. Woe to you who traffic them. Woe to you who cause them any harm physically or spiritually. Woe to you who cause them in any way to distrust or distance themselves from their creator and their savior. Woe to you, your day of reckoning is coming. And look, God keeps perfect account. He doesn't miss a thing. What you think you're doing to those children in the dark will be brought to light one day. We got to watch this play out last week. It came to light that the former U.S. gymnastics coach had committed at least 24 counts of felonies against young girls including human trafficking and assault. And when it finally came to light, all that he did, he took his own life. This happened last week. Now, I have two things to say about that. Number one, that's too late. It would have been better for him, this is what Jesus is saying, think eternally now, 
It would have been better for him on his judgment day if he would have done that before harming all those girls. Now, let me also say this. If on this day, when all of this came to light, if that man would have turned to Christ, would have repented and bowed his knee at the cross, he would have found forgiveness. Because the cross of Christ can even cover that. But instead, he took the chicken way out. He could have come to Christ and like Zacchaeus spent the rest of his living years making restitution and making peace with all those he harmed. But he didn't do that. But he could have. That's, I think, what Jesus is saying here. This is Jesus unfiltered. He takes sin seriously. Do you see that? And it's not just for others, y'all. It's for us. He turns the tables on us in verse 43. Look with me, please. He said, if your hand, talking to you and me, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot is causing you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life without a foot than having your two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye is causing you to sin, throw it away. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be thrown into hell. Okay. Now, I do think Jesus is using a bit of hyperbole to make a point. All right? I don't think he's necessarily endorsing self-mutilating. All right? Uh, I, I remember hearing a story from a good long-term friend of mine named Kent. He gave me permission to use this story about his sons. But one time, he's got two boys. And when they were much younger... One of the boys, as I recall, hit the other one. And so after making sure that the, the little boy, his youngest son, was okay, he goes back to discipline the older boy who somehow had magically fallen asleep in 30 seconds. <laughs> and so he had to wake his son up. And, uh, and he was disciplining him, okay, for hitting his brother. And, and, you know, being a Christian dad, he's, of course, going to discipline him with the Word of God. So Kent opens the Bible to this passage. And he says, now, Logan, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And all of a sudden, Logan's eyes grew really big. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, no, dad's going to cut my hand off. <laughs> right? So I think, I, I don't actually think Jesus is endorsing self-mutilating. Okay. I do think he's wanting us to our sins seriously, and he, and he is endorsing self-pruning. Self-pruning. Let me explain it this way. When Beth and I bought our first house, we inherited this peach tree. Unfortunately for this peach tree, I didn't know anything about how to take care of a peach tree. So that first year we lived in that house, we had a massive amount of peach. It was a bumper crop of peaches all over this peach tree because I didn't do anything with it. It was peaches gore. You came over to our house, you want a peach? I mean, it was kind of like that dog ate him, threw him up. Anyway, a true story. Then the next year, the tree died. We had nothing because I didn't prune it. I didn't take care of it. Do you know that you need to prune about, I later learned, you need to prune about 40% of the peach tree every year. There are these uh, branches called root suckers. You got to cut them out. 
And then you're also supposed to trim off every dead, diseased, and damaged branch in order that the tree may reach its full potential. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 15. Real similar, the same spirit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he says, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. This is self-pruning we're talking about. This is cutting out our dead, diseased, and damaged parts of our lives. So may I just kind of stop the sermon and, and ask you a personal question. Is there anything in your life that's a root sucker? Is there any part of your life that's causing damage to your soul or disease to your spirit? Is there anything in your life that's dead spiritually? May I say it on the authority of Jesus' word? Cut it out. Cut it out. Now, I had to preach to myself before I get to preach to you. So I was preaching this message to myself, and I asked the Lord, Lord, is there anything I need to cut out? And he said, yes. And it is my impatience. Here's the truth. I'm just going to confess this. I am way more impatient than I want any of you to know. I'm the guy who, when I go to Walmart or H-E-B, I'm always trying to find the shortest checkout line. And I always seem to pick the wrong one. <laughs> Who's with me? You know what I'm saying? All right. And, and lately, Beth and I have been driving out to East Texas to go watch my son play baseball, which means we have to drive through Dallas. <laughs> Only my wife knows how impatient I am because she has to drive with me through Dallas. By the way, don't go slow in the left lane. <laughs> anyway. Just saying. But still, I just, I'm really glad. Well, there's a reason I don't have a Christian symbol on my car. <laughs> now, I, I can joke about being impatient, and I'm, I am more impatient than any of you know. I hide it because I like my job. All right? But here's the problem with impatience. Impatience can quickly lead to anger, and the Bible says anger can quickly lead well, the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. So the Lord's saying to me, Sherm, you've got to cut it out. Matter of fact, you grow up. You just have to grow up. You're not a boy anymore. So if whatever that is for you, cut it out. That's the word of God. Okay, so Jesus is talking about hell. It's better to cut all that out. Um, and then enter into hell, right? So speaking of hell, Jesus teaches us a little bit about hell. Here's what he says. Let's keep going. Verse 48. He says, where their worm does not die and their fire is not extinguished, for everyone will be salted with fire. Okay, so in talking about hell, first thing you need to know, this word for hell that Jesus uses is the word Gehenna. Gehenna is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, which is that, that's the word for uh, Valley of Hinnom. That's the Hebrew word for Valley of Hinnom. Well, what's Pastor in the Valley of Hinnom? This. If you look at this map, this is first century uh, Jerusalem, what they call the old city of Jerusalem now. If you turn your head to the right, you're looking north. And so look south to the left, and there's the Hinnom Valley. Okay, now what's so special about the Hinnom Valley that Jesus would call it hell? Well, 
the people of the old city of Jerusalem were wise enough to take their trash, their refuse, and deposit it outside of the city and burn it. That was their city dump. That was their, you know, garbage pile that they burned. And by the way, worms were noted to live there and the worms helped, you know, till up the soil and eat stuff. And so you can just imagine the smell and the odor and the heat and the worms in the Valley of Hinnom. That's Gehenna. Jesus takes that real place and uses it to teach about a real place. Two things about hell he wants us to know here. First of all, hell is a place of punishment. It's a place of fire. In another text, he calls it a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I take weeping to mean regret and gnashing of teeth to mean pain. That's hell. It's a real place. It's a place of punishment. And then it's also, secondly, it's an eternal place. He calls it the unquenchable fire. The worm does not die. It's not annihilation as some people like to teach. It's forever. It is a forever place. So you put that together on Jesus' word. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. That's the reality of hell. Now, you may be thinking, well, Pastor Room, that doesn't sound very nice. That doesn't sound like the God of love that I know. And I understand where you're coming from. But here's what I want you to know about hell. God didn't create it for you. With, he didn't create it with you in mind. Jesus is clear in Matthew 25. He's separating the sheep from the goats in and, and that passage. And he says um, to those who are uh, unbelieving, to those who are rebellious and distrusting, he says uh, in Matthew 25, let me make sure I want to get this right. He says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire. Here's a phrase, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's Matthew 25. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire. Here's the key phrase, prepared for the devil and his angels. So in other words, if you know your Bible, you know that at some time in an eternity past, the angel Lucifer rebelled against God how convinced a whole lot of other angels to join him in the rebellion. God said, well, you can't stay here. I got I to gotta send you somewhere. And that's why he created hell as a place prepared for the devil and all his angels. So God had them in mind, not you. I assure you on the authority of God's word, the Bible is clear. It's the heart of God that every person repent and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. However, if you, like this passage says, rebel against God, if you reject his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, he has to send you there because he is also just. He is as just as he is merciful. So Jesus is teaching us all this to get us to believe a certain way and invest our lives in a certain way now. Now. So how does Jesus want you to invest your life now? Last verse. Here's how. Verse 50. Salt is good, he said. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Okay, so he's talking about salt. So again, if you know this region, how many of you have been to Israel? And how many of you? Several of you? Yeah, several of us. That's awesome. How many of you have been to the Dead Sea? 
How many of you floated in the Dead Sea? Isn't that cool? That's amazing. For those of you who've never had that experience, you really can. You go out in the Dead Sea and because of its salt content, I think it's like 33 or 34% salt that water is. That's why it's the Dead Sea. There ain't nothing alive in that. But you can go out in the sea and just lay back and float in the Dead Sea because it's so buoyant because of all the salt. So that's the salt region in the area. And they would harvest that salt. Unfortunately though, that salt isn't like pure, pure salt. It was contaminated. And so eventually, like pure salt stays pure salt and never loses itself. But when it becomes contaminated, it, it loses its taste, it loses its flavor, it loses its effectiveness. And so then they would just throw it away and make piles of it. This reminds me of what Jesus said in, in his great sermon on the mountain, Matthew uh, chapter five. He said, you're the salt of the earth, right? But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. But you're the salt of the earth. So what use did, did salt have in, in that day and time? Two primary things. The first use of salt was as a preservative. You got to remember, children, they didn't have refrigerators back in Bible times, all right? But they used salt to keep the meat and other food fresh from being contaminated. Matter of fact, we still do that. Uh, when my wife was out of town a lot this fall taking care of her mom, I went to HEB a lot to buy um, pre-cooked, prepared meals because <laughs> I don't know how to cook, all right? So I'd go to HEB and those, they have these, you know, prepared meal like I used to grow up on TV dinners, anyone? Okay, well, and then one time I decided to flip it over just to see, you know, the contents of this. There is a lot of salt in those things. I mean, the sodium content is crazy in those things. Why? Because they're using it to preserve it and keep it fresh. By the way, if you're heart patient, salt is no bueno, all right? So we're still using it. It's a preservative. So think, okay, you're the salt of the earth, God wants to use you as a preservative. What does that mean? I think even in this culture that we're living that is increasingly uh, distancing itself from God and his holy word, God has sprinkled you into it in order to preserve it, to keep it right with God. So let me just say this as a word of exhortation to the church in America. Now is not the time for us to run and turn tail and be cowards. Now is the time for us to charge. Now is the time for us to get involved. Local, state, national level, be the salt of the earth. Run to the problem. Run to the issues. Don't cower away from them. Get involved. Get engaged. Be the salt of the earth. Preserve this great nation on behalf of the one who created it. So... The second reason I think Jesus said that you're the salt of the earth is because we're seasoning, right? Back in the old times, they put salt on their food just like a lot of us do today. Why? Because it does taste better. So you're also the seasoning for the word of God. I think one of the ways that God wants you to invest your life now as the salt of the earth is to make every truth in this book taste good to those who hear it. Now, I am privileged to have an audience with you and all of you online, but I guarantee you, you have an audience that I can't reach. You work with people, play with people, go to school with people, where you get to make all the truth in this book tasty 
to those within your circle of influence. You're the salt of the earth. And then also, you know what salt does? It makes us thirsty. You know that old expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? You ever heard that expression? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Do you know the rest of that expression? But you can feed him salt to make him thirsty. And that's you, my beloved. You're the salt. In other words, Jesus wants you to invest your life and to use your words to conduct yourself in such a way that whenever people engage with you, they walk away a little bit thirstier for God. You're the salt of the earth. So that's why Jesus says, finally, he says, be at peace. That's the last thing he says. Be at peace with one another. And so here's how I see this, okay? Be at peace. If you're looking for peace, don't look into the world because the world can't offer you what it does, doesn't have. You can't dispense what you don't possess. You have to look for God. First is you make peace with God. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, having been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Make peace with God on his terms, and his terms are his son, Jesus. So now you have peace with God. Secondly, you need peace within yourself. And that comes by two things, pruning and prayer. Pruning is getting the stuff out of your life that God doesn't want in there. Prayer is inviting the stuff into your life that God does. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. You present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so now you have peace with God. You have peace within yourself, and now you get to make peace with one another. And that's Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. You're the salt of the earth. Be at peace with God through Jesus. Be at peace within yourself through prayer and pruning. And then as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So that through all your words, and through all your interactions, whenever anyone leaves your presence, they'll be a little bit thirstier for God. Let's pray. And so, Heavenly Father, we bow our heads and our hearts before you. And I do pray, Father, I hope, Lord Jesus, I, I really, you know my prayer, I really wanted to capture your spirit this morning. I hope I've done that. God, protect the children. Protect them from harm physically and spiritually. And anyone, anyone listening this morning, wherever you are, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, but hell's a real place of unquenchable fire. And if you rebel against God and if you reject Jesus, he has to send you there because he is just. And so now is the time to get right with God on his terms. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. The cross can handle it. I promise you. Come to Christ. Bow the knee. Find forgiveness there. And in there you will find life, everlasting life. And then, Lord, for those of us who believe who are the salt of the earth, help us to live salty lives. That those around us may thirst a little more for you. For your great namesake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.